allows you to jump in the message today is uh, there should be in your handout a little slip of paper that allows you to ask a question regarding the sex series and what we're talking about. Next week we're going to talk about sex in a Q&A setting. Jennifer and I are going to come up and try our best to answer uh, some of your questions. A lot of you had questions from last week that were uh, uh, really, really good and, and really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It just kind of challenged the heart, so to speak, because I'm realizing every time we get into this series that there's a lot of pain involved in sex done poorly. And, and, and hopefully you understand what I'm saying. And we just have a lot of issues that go with this. And so hopefully we can try to answer some of those questions the best we can. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not an expert. Jennifer is, but I'm not. And so we'll do our best to, to walk through them. So as you give them this week, we'll take some time and try to write out some answers and think it through and, and maybe make some sense next week of some of the things that you have. So put that in the offering later on today. Uh, the series is rated PG-13. If you've got little, little ones with you today, uh, this would be a great time to go check them into Kids Connect. If uh, they're junior high age or high school, I would totally say listen carefully, pay attention, because this might help you in the long run in, in a big way. Um, so why talk about sex in church? Last week we started off the same way. I want to start off the same with the same question today. Why talk about sex in church? And the question, I think, uh, there's a couple of answers. Last week we threw out several different answers than these. Uh, we live in a sexually distorted world. Uh, our world is full, full of all kinds of opinions, ideas, thoughts, misconceptions, misguided understandings, you name it. This, it's, it's out there, it's, it's bombarding us, and it's distorted in many ways from the creation of what God intended for us. And so because of that, it would be a good idea for us to talk about it. And so it's hard to see uh, what's right and wrong when it comes to understanding sex. The other uh, thought, and this is more of a confession than it is really a reason why, and it's this, is that the church, the body of Christ... Uh, and by the way, the body of Christ has been in action for ever since Christ left, and he initiated the church as his vehicle, as his instrument to bring about transformation. He's, he does the work, but the vehicle is the church. All right? The very important role. So never dismiss the value of the church, but the church doesn't always do things really well. Right? I mean, sometimes, and here's why it's because it's full of people like you and me. That's why. And we're just kind of messed up sometimes. We do crazy things. And so one of the reasons why we need to talk about sex in church is the church, the body of Christ, has done a poor job in communicating about what sex and our sexuality and all these things are in light of who we you know, interact and how we live in our lives. And so it, so it becomes really important to talk about it because it's maybe not been communicated real well. The church historically, and here's what's happened. Historically, the church has had more of a no stance on everything that regards sex. No, 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 no. And that was just, that's all it was, just no. And, and, and that was kind of more of a response, if you will, than it was an answer. It was more of, man, it's so out of control, it's so out of whack, it's so crazy, no. And, and that was kind of how the church historically has held. And, and it's taken over... The, the centuries, and I'm talking a big picture here, there's been two predominant views that have come out of the church's no type approach, all right? And the first one is, is that any sexual pleasure is bad. So if you, if you experience sexual pleasure in any shape or form, it's bad. Now, obviously, we're talking about in the context of marriage, it's a very beautiful thing when it comes to physical sex, 
all right? The other thing that they would promote or put out there, and it's still part of today, you still hear it, is that sex is only for procreation. In other words, making babies. Making babies baby. I mean, that's, that's what it's there for. And so, and, and those two ideas have some degree of truth in them, but it's not all the truth. I mean, there's, there's truth that, that we are giving this sexual identity that we can have the opportunity to procreate. That's true. There are elements of sexuality outside of the context of what God designed it to be that can truly be bad and destructive and harmful to who we are. Those things are true. But to say that that's all of it, that would be wrong. And so that's a couple reasons why. So last week, we talked about how our sexuality is defined, what's normal. And I encourage you to go back, listen to it online at the website. And, it's, and, and really what we did is we said, what's normal? Is it simply based on popular opinion? If enough of us get together and agree that this action or this behavior or this lifestyle is okay, then it's okay. And that's just not a good way to find out what sexuality is all about, all right? Popular opinion. Or maybe it's more personal. It's based on my personal opinion. In other words, it's cool with me. And we kind of got this, it's okay with me. And that's kind of a dangerous way to do it, too. So we talked about that last week. So today, though, I want to talk about the yes of our sexuality. And, and, and we're going to define sexuality in just a minute here. I want to talk about the yes. I want to talk about, and listen to this statement cl- closely, I want to talk about having the best sex ever in the context of singleness and marriage. And it's both. You're like, what? have <laughs> How can that be? And there's, there's a concept here that you, we can wrestle with and get our, our, our minds around, hopefully. And so I want to talk about it. First, before we get there, let me ask a simple question. Does God think I'm sexy? And I'm not talking about me literally. I'm talking about us in general as a, as a created human being race of people. You know, it, does God think that we are, as his creation, sexy? And the answer is definitively yes, he does. Not in some kind of weird, perverted, attracted sexual, physical sexual way, but in the sense that that's what I've designed you with, that's the purpose that I've given you, yes, definitely we are. And so that's kind of the, ba- the, the groundwork, if you were. God actually created us as sexual being. It's part of the original design. If you read in Genesis chapter 1, this has been our key text. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then it's defined, male and female, he created them. So in the context of that scripture, that one idea is our sexuality and our relationship to one another and to God at the same time. I mean, and and really what it talks about is our sexuality then is is our maleness and our femaleness is directly related to the creation that God has placed within us in the image of God. So there's something really purposeful about how God made us, and he shaped us, and he designed us. This original normal, and here's what the original normal was. It's not a fill in the blank on your notes, but it might be worth writing down. The original normal was a life-giving relationship. Life-giving relationship that I would have the potential for that with God, and that I would have a life-giving relationship with a man and a woman. In that relationship, there would be a life-giving potential that would be there, that I could be connected in that way. Now, So sexuality is our capacity to love and be loved. Just let that sink in a little bit. We have this capacity to love and be loved. And it happens at different levels and different ways and different times along the journey called our lives. All right? We've got to get a hold of this. It's more than 
just having physical sex. We are sexual beings from the very core of who we are. Okay, kind of let that sink in a little bit. So our sexuality is our capacity to love and be loved, and it is intimately tied to our fulfillment as spiritual beings. There's some sense that I'm fulfilled in this, and God says, I've created you to have this sense of fulfillment. Not just in a, pardon, pardon me, but in an orgasm or in a climax sexually. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. It's part of it, but it's not the whole of it. Okay? And so here, here's the conversation that's going on. So I want to talk about the two sides of our sexuality, because I'm assuming there's probably a lot of singles in a room, and there's probably a lot of married. So let's talk about both of those in the context of our sexuality, the capacity to be loved, and the importance of that in our, in our developing who God wants us to be, okay? Let's jump in. Sexuality and singleness. One of the biggest challenges of the Christian faith is to find a healthy balance in the context of being single and being sexual at the same time, all right? How do I do that? Just because you are single does not mean that you are not sexual. And some of you are probably going, duh, <laughs> right? I mean, that, you're not telling me anything I don't know already because there's something in me that's already there, not just physically, but how I was created to have this connection capacity to be loved and love. And so here's a few statements to help us get going. Oh, before I jump there. Which, because of this situation, this challenge, it creates a, a real struggle for us as singles. And I'm, not, I'm just talking, you know, you can follow in there. You're with me. And it raises several questions, all right? I mean, it raises questions about what, what about lust? What about masturbation? What, what about uh, being in love? I mean, we're in love. You know, I mean, how, how do we define some of these things? I mean, is sexual intercourse really that big a deal before marriage? I mean, come on. Is it really that big a deal? I mean, so all of a sudden, if, if, if I'm this sexual being as a single, I've got to wrestle with these things and go, okay, how do I make sense of that? How, how do, can I, is there anything that I can kind of set as a, uh, some some stakes in the ground that help me. And I think there's a few things. All right, let, let's just look at a few of them real quickly. Here's the first one. It's possible to be single and, to, and still be, and I, I put this in my notes because I think it's important in your handout, still be healthy, uh, be a healthy sexual being. Not just be a sexual being, but a healthy sexual being. So maybe write that in there as well. Check out this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. By the way, last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This week I encourage you to read a couple key texts for this week. Number one, Song of Solomon. It's eight chapters long. It's a love affair. It's a good read. All right? Some of you are like, what? There's a love affair? I mean, it's, it's pretty intense in points. I mean, there's some things in there. I mean, it, it, is, it is a man and a woman coming together in, in, in fulfillment of their sexuality. I mean, it's happening at the highest levels, okay? Corinthians 7 is Paul talking to a group of people just like you and I, trying to help them understand how it all kind of interacts together, okay? And so here's one, one of the things he said. He said, but I wish everyone... Everyone were single just as I am. The Apostle Paul was single. But God gives to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of singleness. So here's, here's the thought before we go any further. God 
gives a gift of singleness to some people. Now, we have to kind of go down the road here a little bit. Go, well, does that mean then all of a sudden God removes somehow the, the sexual part of who that person is? That they're asexual, they're no longer, they don't have this? I mean, how does that work if God is gifting this person in this, but yet something's going on in another way at the same time? What's happening there? And so here's, here's some thoughts. Being a sexual being and having sexual intercourse, physical sexual intercourse, are not the same thing. Those two things can be, they're part of our sexuality, but they're not necessarily the whole of our sexuality. And, and see, so many times when we say sex, the only thing we think of is physical intercourse. That's, that's always, a, we just think, you know, the whole mixing, mingling together, you know, the whole act, if you will, right? And so, Here's the thing. We're all sexual beings, single and married alike. We can't reject or deny that. If I do, it's kind of like trying to live life pushing a beach ball down underneath the water, and the beach ball is bigger than me. You know, have you ever done that? You went to the pool, and you had this big beach ball, and you're trying to push this thing underwater. You kind of get it for a second. You have it. You have it. Whoa! And it comes flying up. And you grab it. It's, it's frustrating. It's hard. It's difficult. It just gets kind of crazy. So to deny it is kind of like that. So... Here's a question. Excuse me. Not all experiences of intimacy should culminate in marriage or physical intercourse, though. All right? So there's this idea that I can be intimate and not necessarily have physical sex. I mean, and that's what he's talking about. Say, hey, here's the deal. You, God might have gifted you, and some of you, I don't want that gift. Don't give me that one. Right? And some of you got, are married, and you have that gift, and you're saying, I don't want that one. Just hang in there, all right? <laughs> Just hang in there, because God might be up to something in both, okay? So here's the question. Is it possible to be a sexual being and not have, and not have physical sexual intercourse? And the answer is yes. And, and so you say, how? I mean, that would be the normal question. How, how, how can that be? And, and here's, and I'll just real quickly get to it. Satisfying friendships full of real communication and real trust and appropriate affection begin to fulfill some of the longings that each and every one of us have to be loved and loved. And so somehow, someway, there's this gift that God says, hey, I'm satisfied, I'm fulfilled in this setting as a single or in the time being, that's where I'm going to be settled and satisfied and that's where I'm going to live. Okay, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. And so the answer is yes. And so we all need this experience of emotional ful- ful- fulfillment. And there are parts of our sexuality, not just sexual intercourse. There are parts of sexuality that can be experienced as a single person. Now, let me just kind of unpack for you real quick because I want to mention it all the way through the message today. There are, when you define love biblically, there's three basic ones that come out all the time. There's philia, there's eros, and there's agape. Philia, eros, and agape. Okay? Phila is where we get like Philadelphia, the city of, anybody know? Brotherly love. It's this whole idea that we have friendship. It's this friendship. You're my friend. I'm your friend. And it's a good thing. We're friends. We're brothers and sisters. We're, we're together. And there's some sense of fulfillment from having this relationship intimacy, intimately, not physical intercourse, but just as a friend. And then the other one is eros, which we get our phrase or term erotic, which has to do with romance and physical attraction. 
and physical activity. All right? Now, part of that happens in the courtship of two couples as they should move towards marriage and the fulfillment of eros. That's part of it, okay? But so many times, here's what we do, and I'm kind of jumping ahead of my notes a little bit. We only think of one angle of this whole engage or process, and that is eros. We're just all about the physical part of it, and we lose sight that maybe we should consider the other things as well at the same time. And then the third one is agape. And agape has this divine care about it, that I'm, I'm sincerely interested in your well-being. And, and by the way, agape is the foundation of true best sex ever, which we're going to talk about in just a few moments. So the foundation of our sexuality is to be known, in quotes, to be connected in a life-giving, intimate relationship. So I can be single, not me because I'm married, but... You can be single if that's where you're at and still be very sexual because parts of our sexual expression are available to us now, but there's part of it that is yet to come. Does that make sense? So if we can just get a hold of this. Now, let me give you some real, real down-to-earth practical advice, all right? And here, here I go. Anything that deals then with the genitals or a woman's breast should be off-limits until marriage. Because what I'm doing is I'm, I'm messing with this ability for me to be single and still be sexual. Because I've crossed over into a line where we go back all the way to that idea that this might be destructive. So I need to realize that. Here, here's another thought. Shacking up together is getting the cart ahead of the horse. I don't know if you've ever seen a cart ahead of a horse. It is a wreck, all right? So just know that that's part of that idea. But yet inside of there, there's a big yes. There's a big yes that's happening. So that's number one. The second one is this. The real issue for singles is the level of self-control. Can I have self-control? Can I have self-control? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 says, So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry it's better to marry than to burn with lust. In other words, it's better that you go ahead and, and engage in this. And again, he's not just saying, hey, throw caution to the wind. Go who, wherever, however. Don't think about any of these things. He's saying, hey, you know what? You might not have the gift of singleness. You probably need to begin to kind of put yourself in a position in a healthy way to marry which is a whole nother conversation. By the way, I was talking to Jennifer about this series, and I'm like, man, when I'm pulling together these notes, I realize we could probably talk about this for the next 12 weeks and not even get close to talking about all the different thoughts and ideas that go along with this one particular message. All right, We could take each one of these and do that. So what that means then, as we read through the verse, is physical, sexual feelings are not to control us. We are to control them. And you're like, can't do that. It's too strong. All right, let me just ask you this. I'm just assuming that maybe you were angry with somebody and you would like to have done bodily harm to them. There was an urge, a desire. Matter of fact, you might even be mad. <laughs> there might even been a little fury in there. I'm, I'm thinking maybe you chose to control that urge and not kill that person. Now, if you did, we need to talk. All right? 
I don't know how we're going to do that, but we need to have a conversation. But my point is this, is that we need to realize that there is a control part of this. If I can't, and it just beats me up and beats me up and beats me up, then that's what he's talking about. Don't let it go that it destroys you, all right? So here's some practical advice, and I just got practical advice on some of them here. If you struggle, struggle to have physical sex control and you're single, biblically, these are the two things that you should do. Number one, run. That's what it says, run from sexual sin. Run. That, just run. You know, get yourself a cold shower, run. Don't, don't put yourself in that position, run. Secondly, what you should do is remember to choose wisely. Because if you're burning, sometimes you you got to realize that even in the midst of the burning process that I can't control myself, that i got to make sure that I'm not jumping out of this burning situation into a can of gasoline in that relationship. And I've seen that happen a hundred times. Where somebody wanted so desperately to be in this relationship that they would jump into something that was worse than just being in self-control for a while. All right? So... Enough said. Next one. The viable option, a viable option for a single is to have greater impact for God. That's an idea. It's like, wait a minute, what's that mean? It means we can choose to spend our energies chasing a different kind of fulfillment. Instead of physical, sexual intercourse as this fulfillment, I'm going to say, God, until whenever, and we'll talk about that in just a second, I'm going to choose to serve you as my fulfillment. I'm going to give myself wholly and fully to you to do this. And you're like, whoa, that's pretty intense. It, a lot of people have done that. I mean, it's part of that, that gift mix or where I'm at in life. I'm going to choose to do that. And, and so I'm choosing to chase after something different. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32b and 34a, it says, An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and think how to please him. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. So that's, that's a big part of it. So here, here's, the, here's the fourth one. Then we're going to move into the, the married side of this. Fourth one is this. Healthy singleness is understanding the value of restraint. The value of restraint. Not the, not the chains of restraint, but the value of restraint. The value of restraint. The best sex ever refuses to be rushed into a physical moment prematurely because that's going to cost me more than I want because I'm going to miss my opportunity for the greatest sex. I might have had sex physically, but I'm missing the greatest sex, the best sex, the one that God's designed me for. And so the, it gets lost. So the best sex ever understands the importance of waiting. Now, Song of Solomon, I encourage you, go read Song of Solomon. Just It's eight chapters. You can read it and probably a half hour or less. Song of Solomon chapter 3. And by the way, here's what happens. They're having a conversation back and forth. The man and the woman are having a conversation back and forth in the Song of Solomon. And there's all these thoughts and ideas that come alive in in Song of Solomon about love and restraint and, and how it's the best sex ever. And here's one of the verses that comes a lot. This is actually in there several times. Song of Solomon chapter 3 verse 5. Promise me, O woman of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, and by the way, the gazelles and wild deer have to do with this idea, let's not scare them away. Let's not ruin our moment. Let's, there, there's this tenderness about what we're involved in right now. Let's don't mess this up. 
And he goes on, he says, not to awaken love until the time is right. And so he's, he's really getting into something here. He's like, hey, let's, let's, I'm in love with you, and we're, we're in this place. I, I, I'm affectionate for you, and things are moving towards marriage, and we're going to be a part of that. But let's don't open up the, the doors of love until it's time. And he was talking about the physical, sexual intercourse of our sexuality. All right, that's what he's talking about. So it's understanding then that the two shall become one, and if the two shall become one, it's good. I understand that. And so what they're, when he says that in this text, what he's saying, he's like, you know what? I'm willing to wait because I know that what I'm waiting for is going to be better than what I might have right now. And I'm willing to wait for that. I'm willing to say, hey, I'm going to hang in there with restraint because I know that the best is yet to come in this relationship. And I'm not going to prematurely jump ahead of that and miss my opportunity for the best. And so that's what he's saying. He's, that, that's, and so, and by the way, here's, here's a thought. My personal theory is this. In many marriages and relationships, they're messed up. I mean, there's, there's hurt, there's pain, there's sexual frustration. The, the eros of the marriage relationship isn't happening the way it should. I mean, all these different things are happening because of a lack of proper timing. In other words, we had eros before we ever had agape, and we had eros before we ever had phila, and now it's a mess. And see, some of us in marriage or in singleness, we've thrown gasoline on this whole thing and messed it up big time, and he's like, hey, here's the deal. If if you want to have this best sex ever, this is a great way to get there. So, enough said. Let's move on to marriage. A few minutes on marriage. So sexuality and marriage. So what is the basis for marriage? Is it romantic feelings? You know, we had this romantic moment. Is it a sense of mutual attraction? You know, she's foxy and, and she thinks he's hunk, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, that, hey, we're, we're, we're made to be married. That's, by the way, that's kind of how we started. She thought I was a hunk. <laughs> you know, she's over here nodding her head. Yeah, it's true. I, I, Next week, I'm going to have you say that. And answer that. I'm going to write one question. What do you do if you got a guy that's across the street working at a gas station and he's a hunk? <laughs> All right, anyway. I'm, just <laughs> I'm getting a serious glare up here right now. <clears throat> You're not the boss of me. <laughs> anyway, so, so again... What we, if, we, if that's what we think is the definition of marriage or the basis for marriage, we have to understand that, that there are different kinds of love. There's that phila, eros, agape, and all those kind of come together to, to fulfill who, who we're supposed to be in a marriage relationship. Most of us view, view, view the basis of marriage loved on eros, romantic or physical attraction, but the Bible describes marriage to be based on agape which refers to divine love or charity. So, so here's the deal. If I'm going to get to this best sex ever idea, I've got to understand the order of how this needs to happen. I've, I've got to understand somehow, some way, that it's not this romantic feeling, it's not this physical tra- attraction. Matter of fact, by the way, most of the world and even most of history is based on arranged marriages. Did you know that? Which didn't ever ignite the eros part of it until after the other part was already settled, <laughs> which might be a good idea at some point, okay? But <clears throat> anyway, so here's a few things real quickly. 
Best sex ever in a marriage context is built on the foundation of highest regard. Highest regard. It's having a deep concern for the well-being of ourselves and others in relationship to God's purpose for us. Okay? That's what that means. And eros in marriage has its ebbs and flows. If all we do in marriage is base our marriage relationship on a romantic, physical attraction, uh-oh. By the way, here's what happens. Is that marriage was, were based on that, and you hear this story, you know, the, the guy in his 40s, 50s, starts to get eyes for a younger girl that's in her 30s because she, he's more physically attracted to, and his wife isn't physically the same she used to be, and the, because it has ebbs and flows, and it's not built on agape, and it's not built on philia, it's built on something else. And he's saying, hey, you got to have the highest regard. If you want the best sex ever, that's the way it's going to have to happen. And so that's what's being thrown out here. It can leave a person feeling empty if not. And marriage is much more than a, a, a way to personal fulfillment. Agape love and the disciplines of agape love is what should nurture eros love. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? Let me say that again. Agape love and the disciplines of agape love, meaning this is how I'm going to make a decision to divinely love you, is what should nurture eros love. So if I've got problems with eros love in my marriage, and all of a sudden we can't seem to get together, and it's just not happened, there's a very, very good chance it's not an eros problem, it's an agape problem. It's a philia problem, because those are the foundations to get to the eros. So I've got to have the highest regard first. I mean, that's got to be a part of it. I can care first. I have to care first and foremost about you as a person in the image of God. And out of that comes the best sex ever. That's, that's God's way. And, and by the way, I know that to be true in Jennifer and our relationship. We've grown in our relationship as friends and as in Gopi love, not because we had it all together, but because God is maturing us in that area. And now we're closer in intimacy than ever because of that. I, I know that. I mean, I can say I, I, I know that to be true, personally. Now, second one here is that, and by the way, verse in Genesis is the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Why do they feel no shame? Is because they had the highest regard for God and each other in that situation at that moment. It was broken right after that, but anyway. Best sex ever begins with an intense appreciation. Intense appreciation. It's not, it's not just some casual one-night stand. It's not like, hey, we're, it's, it's, a, it's a moment of passion. It, it's way beyond that. It's, it's built, excuse me, it begins with an intense appreciation. It's based on knowing a person deeply and truly valuing the other person. Again, agape love. And most people never experience the best sex ever because they have confined sex to be only physical activity. And the man and the woman in Song of Solomon, going back to Solomon of Solomon, had a deep appreciation for one another, and it was the fuel for their passion for one another later in marriage. All right, check out some of the verses. Here, here's one. It says, she says, how fragrant your cologne. <clears throat> your name is like spreading, like it's spreading fragrance, you know. And I catch Jennifer doing this all the time. She's walking around the house, Troy, Troy, Troy. <laughs> it's amazing. Because she appreciates me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but second one there, the verse that I saw you, like, what did you say? Uh, <clears throat> you are, and this is him speaking of her, you are as exciting, my darling, 
as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. I mean, you're getting me stirred up here. <laughs> you're, 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 you're doing something to me. You just walk in the room, and I'm like, oh, buddy, oh, man. You, I, and he's, he's appreciating her. It's going, and he goes, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes are like doves. I, I'm not going any further, honey. I mean, she told me, don't be messing. I'm not messing. I'm just sharing my appreciation. Right? Your eyes are loved. It's appreciation. It's our, chapter 2, like, like a lily. And this is him speaking about her. Like a lily among thistles. I mean, all them other chicks. Pfft, it's you, babe. You're it. There, I don't see anybody else. I mean, the only thing I see is you. I mean, everybody else is like thistle. But you, you're a lily. You're, you're beautiful. You are amazing. I mean, and he's just he's laying it on. You know, how beautiful, you know, my darling among women. And then uh, next one is her speak. He escorts me to the banquet hall. I mean, this idea, man, he, he, he has me on the arm and he's walking me. He's, he's caring. He's, he's tender with me. You're tender with me. Oh, man, you, you, are, you are it. And it goes, it's obvious how much he loves me. And so here's the point. See, a lot of us fail to understand what happens in marriage. We want sex in the bed, especially guys. Guys, I want sex now, I want sex now, I want sex now. You know, girls like, well, I would if you were nice. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just, you know, telling it like it is. I would if you were nice. And so here's the point. Begin to acknowledge all the things you love and respect about the other person. There's got to be something, <laughs> right? I mean, you just begin to do that. Get in the habit of, man, you know, like Jennifer does all the time, Troy, 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 Troy. I mean, it's amazing because I feel valued. I mean, you know, and then in tenderness, you know, I, I mean, I appreciate the things that she does and who she is. I mean, those things come alive. And by the way, a meaningful compliment will go a long way in the marriage bed. Value and respect are the key. Value and respect are the key. Next one. Worship team, go ahead and come up. And, the, and I'm just going to hit these pretty quick. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about this one. But here, here's, here's what it is. The best sex ever is always mutual. It's always mutual. It's not one-sided. It's not selfish. It's not about me getting fulfilled. It goes back to what? The highest regard for you being who God created you to be and what that means, right? And I have regard for that. See, both are involved. Both initiate. Both give and receive. A wise person has, has observed that men are like microwaves and women are like crockpots. And so when you start to understand that, that, hey, there's this mutualness that I have to have an understanding about the sex intercourse physically in a marriage relationship. And so I, I need to not just take it like, hey, you know, because here's the deal. Some of us, we read this next verse and we say, see, that's what I told you. But there's this mutuality that happens within this. Here's what it says. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And all the guys go, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And a wife should fulfill, excuse me, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and a wife should fulfill her husband's needs, and that's what the guys get all excited about. 
And the wives give authority over, over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. And it goes on, unless you guys are going to take a prayer and fasting break, but then come back and, and be related together. But the whole point is mutual. And again, women spell sex with tenderness, men spell sex with respect. Last point, the best sex ever is, forever, is a forever deal. It's a forever deal. There's something to be said about having a relationship with the same person your entire life. That's how God planned it. That's how, how God set it in motion. And so Song of Solomon says this, place me, and she's saying this about her, her lover, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love as for, for love is as strong as death. Its jealousy is enduring as a grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor rivers drown it. If a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. And the point is this. They're saying, hey, I'm in this for life. Nothing will be allowed to come in between that. And here's what happens. It creates a sense of security and safety in the relationship. And see, some of us, that's, that's one of the key things that we need. And, we're, and when we don't understand that, we jump in, we jump out of relationships, we're losing that concept and that idea. Let me pray. Lord, there's a lot of us in the room today that maybe as we walk through these, we realize that we need a fresh start. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you're offering a fresh start to anybody that calls out to you. The Lord, you're willing to wash us clean and even make us holy if we would just call out to you and accept the offer of forgiveness through Christ. And so today we ask for a fresh start. God, maybe, maybe today we can start experiencing some of these things that we talked about in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.